Hey, One Song listeners, it's Luxury, and I'm here with a quick message. I'm recording this right after returning from a writer's retreat where I'm working on a book about the history of musical borrowing, from sampling and rhythms to, of course, interpolation. There's going to be lots of footnotes, obscure drum machines. You're going to love it. I'm really proud of it and excited to share it with you when it's done in the winter of 2025. That's right. Turns out writing a book takes a long time. Who knew? The other thing I'm working on is our Valentine's Day episode. Diallo and I are going to be talking about an artist we love and a song that we love. It's Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On. And you can hear that episode on Sirius XM on Valentine's Day, February 14th, and wherever you get your podcasts on the 15th. But now I want to share a one song that newer listeners may have missed. It's our Blue Monday episode. And it's one of my favorites. I hope you like it too. Thanks to the U.S. Soy and the United Soybean Board for the sustainable makeover of our podcast studio and for sparking discussions on greener Hollywood production. Just like notes in a song, sustainable living is just a series of small, eco-friendly choices that contribute to the melody. Check out the Tears for Fears episode of One Song and see behind-the-scenes clips of how they pulled the whole look together. It's all on at Heartbeat Audio on YouTube, and the link is in our show notes. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. I'm actor, director, writer, and sometimes DJ Diallo Riddle. And I'm producer, DJ, and sometimes guy on TikTok who whispers, interpolation, <laughs> luxury. And this is, is One song. song. The show where we deconstruct and celebrate some of your favorite songs from the past 60 years in music history and tell you why they deserve one more listen. We promise you'll never hear these songs the same way again. Diallo, how have you been? I've been good. I've been going back and listening to Chucky Booker games, uh, which is the song that Mark Morrison used for um, Return of the Mac. Okay. And what's funny to me is that is it was, sample? Is it's it, a sample. It's a sample. Yeah. Okay. And um, first off, the Chucky Booker music video is insane. Like it's got so many early '90s music video tropes, like girl standing by window while the curtain blows. Like it's just got some really <laughs> great '90s, yeah, some great. But like, I would encourage listeners to go back and discover Chucky Booker's Games because it is a phenomenal song, and it's one of those rare instances where the song that sampled it sampled it only like three years later. Oh wow! Like it wasn't that much. Like it wasn't in the world for like 20 years, like it typically it was like three years later. I wonder, if Chucky, I mean, did Chucky Booker get paid? We're gonna have to do some research and find out what happened to my man, Chucky Booker. I'm sure he's still out there singing. Hopefully, he makes some money every time we play Return of the Mac. I hope so. And did you discover the original from the sample? I'll be honest, I, I knew because in Atlanta, I you know, Atlanta didn't play a lot of hip hop on the radio in the 90s during the daytime. So we got slow jams and Chucky Booker's games was like a big hit on, you know, R&B radio. Okay. So when Return of the Mac came out, yeah, most of us knew it was a sample, but like Return of the Mac now is like this famous song that you can play almost anywhere in the world. You know, you lied to me. You know, like you can play that anywhere. Meanwhile, uh, Chucky Booker's, you know, why you want to play your games on me? Not as famous. <laughs> so I encourage everybody to find Chucky Booker. I think he has an I instead of a Y at the end of Chucky. Uh, Chucky Booker Games. You'll be like, oh, snap, I didn't know Return of the Mac was a sample. That's awesome. I can't <laughs> wait to check that out. <laughs> hey, I'm not here to tell you what to do with your time. <laughs> but I think we are ready to get this show started. Uh, let's get this show started. Let's do it. I think we should. Well, today we have a song that holds a special place in my heart. Mm. It is a song by an English synth-pop band called New Order, and the song is Blue Monday. Amazing. Diallo, have I ever told you... 
my new order story slash my first day of seventh grade story. No, you haven't. <laughs> I have to know more. Yeah. So here's the story. This little little kid with curly hair called Blake was at a new school, Marin Country Day School. Shout out to all my peeps <laughs> in, um, in Marin County, California. I was the new kid. I didn't know anybody. And what did I do? I have thought about this moment for decades, ever since it happened. And it has been referred to me by many of my since friends. But knowing nobody, I stood up on a giant rock in the field. <laughs> I put my hand to my forehead and I started looking around as though I was on a ship looking for land. And that is literally what happened on that first day of seventh grade, because it was funny to me. That was like the moment that I knew I'd be a, a lifetime narcissist. <laughs> it was all happening in this only child's head, this entire fantasy that this would be funny, that it would make sense and that it would give me something to do. While these other kids who knew each other said, Hey, welcome back to school. Hey, I like you. I like you. I didn't know anybody. So that was my experience. First day of seventh grade. Oh boy. And it's very therapeutic to say this out loud to the world. <laughs> <laughs> We're here for your therapy. Oh my goodness. It's cheaper than the real thing. <laughs> so here I am, I'm in seventh grade and it's sort of that age where maybe the pop radio starts to become less of what you listen to. I latched on to when this song came on, I immediately latched on to this sound, which was like nothing I'd heard before. It was fast. It was dancey. But while it was sort of this electronic underpinning, it had this sort of punk rock on top mm. and it had this singing vocal, which was like, not even that good. It sounded like nothing else on the radio. And I want to play some of it for you. Can I, can I start to build Absolutely. what that track sounds like? Well, let's listen to the drums. Right out the gate, right yeah. out the bat, you have something which is a single instrument, just the kick drum, not even the entire <laughs> drum set, but it's giving you this like signature. This song is knowable in the first second and a half. It really is. And, you know, those are some iconic drums. Uh, when the 80s were having their real, you know, sort of comeback retro moment in the 2000s, I was a DJ. And I will say as a DJ, you love those kind of songs that start off with just the drums. Yes. Because it really, you know, it helps you find the tempo. And it also, because there's nothing else there to clash with the music of the song going out, it it really sounds like you can make that blend and transition really really smooth yeah. what's funny is that i knew this song um when i was a kid too and just like you i was like kind of like a weirdo like all the kids in my school listened to you know r&b there wasn't really a whole lot of hip-hop being played on the radio mm -hmm. back then um and i just you know like the kids knew that like i like well they thought i liked elvis i actually liked the beatles you know they're like oh you're that kid who like elvis and i was like no <laughs> to them i like the, the beatles thing. yeah, yeah it's yeah, the yeah. same thing yeah, yeah. and it's funny like i didn't know terms like punk i didn't even really know to me like if you'd ask you know me that year when this song came out i would have thought punk was like that really discordant doesn't right. make any like I, I would and, and if you told me synth pop I would have thought you might have a lisp or something I, none, none of these it was like black music right. and white music maybe because I was growing up in Atlanta um, but it was like this was white music but it was like white music that like I loved you know what I mean right. like it was just like and it's funny you thought the vocals didn't sound I thought he had a great voice I like the fact that he it's sounded fine. like it's fine. very dispassionate you know he's like how does it feel like yeah. nobody sings like that on the R&B side that's of the that's a fair point really. that he does do that particular moment like that just yeah. generally speaking though like bernard's lyrics and his singing are just so off the cuff and, so good and irrelevant that they turn out to be like iconic and make the song it's kind of like the meg white drumming phenomenon it's like <laughs> it wouldn't work with anything else you wouldn't want like a t you wouldn't want shaka khan on top of that song <laughs> yeah. you know what's crazy is that one of the very first cds or tapes that i ever bought uh, is a group electronic, which right. Bernard is in and getting away with it, which is a song that's Johnny Marr, you know, right? um, God, I, I, I freaking love that. That song. So that's sort of like singing that style of singing long before I knew who joy division or any of these yeah. other groups were. Uh, I just loved it. I thought it was like really cool. Totally. All of that. And we're going to get deep into the vocals in just a moment. Before we get into that, though, I want to talk a little more about the drums. What's really cool about this song is it's a melting pot of a whole lot of different influences. Mm -hmm. And one in particular that New Order, by the way, have extensively talked about this. I have about mm -hmm. five books and seen 12 interviews and there's literally a whole podcast. So there's no sample stitching going on here. They have talked about how they literally decided to take the drum beat from this song for that intro that you just heard. Oh, 
That's a cool fucking fact. That is a cool fucking fact. I have never it? heard that song in my entire life. Donna man. Summer, Our Love, right, 1979. Wow. Georgia and by the way, that sounds like that's like ready for a remix too. Just we gotta our love will last forever. Oh yeah, just that little chunk, right? We gotta put that, gotta is, put that, that together. Is fun. Yeah, let's, we do have a side project. Show, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we're, we're, we're winking at each other with some laptops. We know exactly what we're doing next. <laughs> um, and what's kind of interesting about that is that the. Donna Summer original is a live drummer and the way they got that because a live drummer with one foot on the pedal can't do that unless you're John Bonham from John from Led Zeppelin but that's its own thing so what they did was they have a delay pedal that makes that go those 16th notes but what New Order did these guys were absolute wonderful nerds they built their own equipment they would buy the things right off the shelf that were brand new they had one of the first DMX's which is the drum machine that came before the 808 that <laughs> and everyone before knows the about. rapper and before that's right before DMX and DMX crew um, and they programmed that beat that's how they got it to do the thing that a drummer a live drummer couldn't possibly do and what's interesting about that is this is a moment where this band this punk band this post-punk band formerly Joy Division they become new order when their singer commits suicide yeah they decide to completely transform themselves and do the most punk thing imaginable which is to borrow from non-punk music borrow from dance music use drum machines these things are extremely uncool if you're like a diehard died in the wool punk rocker at this time so i think that's actually one of the lasting uh you know ingratiating things about punk is that you know, they were always willing to throw out the rule book. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and I feel like whether it's Blondie deciding, you know, they were a punk band, but then one of their first big hits is Heart of Glass, which, right. was, which was originally called the, the disco, disco song. Right. Yeah. So, like, I feel like it's that ability to throw out the rule book. I mean, like, you know, it's the same way that, like, DJs were scratching records and that was sort of like, oh, right. we're going to make an instrument out of the turntable? Like, is it seems like the, the late 70s, early 80s was just a really exciting time to try new technology, try new technique, and uh, you know, try some things on the techniques. Twelve hundreds. Shout out to shout out to uh, DJs out there. Nice you, you saw that coming. Insider info. Yeah. Insider joke. We're going to dig a little deeper into the background of the band and their influence a little later, but. I got a question for you. Diala, were you a cool kid in seventh grade? Yeah, I, I, I'm afraid I was. I'm you were? I'm afraid I was a bit of a jock. You're afraid you, you were. know, people, uh, people oh, looked man. at me whenever a ball friends? was being thrown. Or, you wouldn't have you been know, my friend were, No, I was a nerd. Yeah. Oh, you were. <laughs> you weren't a jock. I fell for it. Hook, line, and sinker. I don't know, you don't see this cool jacket that I have on? Like, I was clearly a big nerd who's trying to make up for you it his later life. You could have been a sports life. guy who got converted. I was a sports guy who got converted. I had baseball cards. But that's not the same thing as a jock. That's not the same as a jock. That doesn't make you a jock. That does not make me a jock. <laughs> I really walked right into that, didn't I? They're not the same thing. When you are the card collector, you think you're as cool as the jock, though. It's not quite the same. That is the nerdiest thing I think I've ever heard. I was a jock because um, I collected little pieces of paper with pictures of, of athletes on them. Okay. I, we've got to be kind to our 13-year-old <laughs> selves. It was my protective armor back then, thinking that I was part of this larger world because I had the baseball cards and knew the stats. I, I came to the realization real quick. Um, you know, one day while playing uh, basketball uh, in elementary school, even, I was just like, I'm not good at this. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to I'm gonna go another direction. Smart. I'm going to stake out this unclaimed territory yeah. over here. Well, that's what I did with music. That's literally, that's where yeah. this band and this song comes into play because yeah i mean I, I would argue that they sound like i mean that you know to mention the vocals again he sounds like kind of a nerd and i think it was like <laughs> nerds unite right, like right, right right you know we as nerds heard that voice and we were like i can right. do that yeah this isn't like <laughs> simon Lebon or paul young no, or Shaka this guy's not a cool this guy's not yeah. a good singer he's just a guy singing there's a distinction and the guy that's singing that's what punk rock I, you know, is. I heard it as good singing but also like very like lecturely like professorial okay maybe so, so sort of talky 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 singing sprechshanga sprechshanga <laughs> well let's pause there for a second back up a little bit and uh, get into the band because new order as many people know but not everybody so if you're joining new order party a little later used to be joy division and Joy Division, the band, seminal post-punk band out of Manchester, late 70s. Mm-hmm. Two albums, and then the lead singer committed suicide. Well, it was like right before their U.S. tour, right? Eve of their years ago. They're leaving the next day yeah, on the U.S. Curtis. tour. And Ian Curtis puts on a Iggy Pop record. And uh, commits and, and, and was watching himself. like Looney Tunes cartoons, maybe, apparently, maybe. right? Yeah. At least according to the film 24 Hour Party People, which if you haven't seen that movie, 
like you know after you finish this show <laughs> go Definitely go watch that movie it's a great oh, movie sure. with uh uh with Steve oh Coogan. Stephen Coogan yeah. I love that guy great Steve great Coogan. great movie yeah. a lot of fun Alan even Partridge. if you don't know that music but I'm sorry please continue no worries no I mean I want to know more about these nerds <laughs> and in the wake of their singer dying is they're like what the hell do we do and the three of them that were left over gradually put the pieces back together started writing new songs there's some really cute early footage where they don't even know who's singing so all three of them try. <laughs> singing there's some live footage when they go to new york which is going to be important in a moment they go tour in new york they're called they may or may not be called in order for the first few shows but they don't even know who the singer is they're figuring it out but okay so they had some setbacks obviously but the death of their singer being a pretty big yeah, one that's yeah. a pretty big one <laughs> <laughs> but they regrouped and not only did they reform they added the drummer steven morris's girlfriend jillian on keyboards they also know that their keyboardist was was a girl uh, Jillian is Stephen Morris's wife now. They're still together all these oh, years later. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, and they've got tanks in their backyard. They're crazy. They have tanks? <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. For some reason, the drummer from New Order collects <laughs> tanks. It's just something he likes. I'm I'm still worried about them. <laughs> I see a lot, of, true. a lot of militaristic stuff right. going on. I mean, on. these guys are growing up in post-war like England. There's bombed out areas. I mean, this is like different from, like in America, we didn't have bombs like in that building next mm-hmm. to us kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. They all grew up in the shadow of the war in a much more direct way mm. also the era these guys are a little older than us but um but yep. you're right their war uh, um their war obsession is really interesting to think about yeah. it's clearly a big part of their of this band um i i gotta say one thing is i i didn't know what they look like like we've talked a lot about how the vocals right. made us think that they were like you know kindred spirit nerds with us right. but i don't think i knew they at all what their the faces band looked on like. Album covers. like who who were they was, was the whole no pictures thing intentional absolutely it was the contrarianism goes all the way down to their record label factory which is that movie 24 hour party Heck people's yeah. about tony wilson their entire shtick if you will mm-hmm. was let's just do it differently do it the way we want to a big fuck you by the way to london because they're in manchester so it's like a smaller town so like the music industry, it's very centered in London. I, say, I think I think mystery with like pop artists is so cool. Like Me too. I didn't know, you know, like Chic went out of their way yeah. to not have their faces at first on like albums and Roxy Music did that and Daft Punk did that. Right. You know, like we didn't know what Daft Punk looked like. Ghostface Killer, when he first came out, the reason he was called Ghostface Killer in the Wu-Tang was because he was the one Wu-Tang member who always had a mask on in every video. Like mystery I feel is like, cool. We need more yeah, mystery. Man, like, yeah. I don't need to know. Who are you, Charlie Puth? I don't it, need to know. It makes it kind of more special. Yeah, and these guys didn't put their faces I'm on kidding, Charlie. Don't be mad. Oh, yeah, we love you, Charlie Puth. <laughs> we love you, Charlie Puth. You know, maybe try a mask every now and then just to mix it up if you'd like. But not because you're ugly. You're pretty. Dead pretty Mouse, guy. He might be. He's a handsome. Who man. knows? Oh, he's handsome. I think so. Let's see, that, that makes me angry then. Oh. I don't Show know. your face, Dead Mouse. <laughs> So we've talked about the mystery element of the band. One other thing I need to point out is we, we talk a lot about, we think a lot about on the, between the two of us as disco fans, the whole disco demolition moment, mm-hmm. 1979 disco sucks, disco ends. Disco doesn't really end as we all know. Disco just goes underground. And when a really important thing happens when New Order plays in New York at that show I'm just referring to, they go out and they party and they go to all these New York nightclubs I and they are that. exposed to disco music. And it's not just the disco music. There's many forms of disco music. There's sort of the Latin tinge. There's the black tinge. There's the gay tinge. They're going to gay nightclubs where the BPMs are crazy because Blue Monday is 130 BPM and Sylvester is 130 BPM. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, and from my understanding of dance music history, there is a BPM distinction happening in a lot of these clubs, especially in the late 70s. So they're going, they're they're getting these fast BPMs and everyone's popping whatever, ammo, I don't even know. And they're going crazy at 130 and they bring this home with them. They bring this idea home with them. They're like, we want to make a fast dance record inspired by their experiences in New York. So not only did they bring the BPMs back, they brought some of the Sylvester synth bass back and I'm going to play a little bit of that for you right now. So what we just heard was a programmed 16th note bass pattern. Like a human can't play that so perfectly. Mm. And it's not happening on a bass guitar. It's happening on the Moog synth. Got it. And it is evoking very, very closely this (laughs) 
I mean, first off, everybody borrows and, and takes and is Absolutely. inspired by stuff. So I don't, but that, I have never heard that. I've never heard that relation before. And now so I'm directly, like, right. Oh, you could, um, you could almost sing Blue Monday over you totally could. the Sylvester. And not only is that connection there, the Sylvester connection, but there's another track with a very similar sound on the bass, on the synth bass, as well as the structure of the sound. And that's the song that at the time, New Order was also going to their own club, the Hacienda, which had just opened in Manchester. Very important club. And this is one of the biggest hits at that club at the time. Do you know that track? I, that, that, I, that know, is a I know it. Classic Italo track by a, a Klein and MBO called Dirty Talk. Dirty Talk. Right, right. There's something I love. Can I tell you one of the things I love the most? I mean, like, clearly, this is like the stuff that you and I like yeah. really, Bond really like. Right. And then, like, but what is that clap? Like, what is that? That's not like a snare. Is that just like a hand clap? So a lot of times to get that in the early days, they would literally program white noise on a synthesizer and you could just hit a note that had been the filters and knobs had been manipulated in such a way that instead of getting a pitch, you would just get a cat and Marauder that, does that too. That, that Marauder does that is too. so hard. Yeah. Like that, that, that hand clap. Yeah. No pun intended slaps. It's a slappy clap. It's a slappy clap. Slappy clap. So Dial, you asked me a moment ago about bass guitar because what we just heard that synth part isn't played on bass guitar. And as you know, hooky from joy division and new order is a bass player, mm -hmm. you know, famous for his very melodic bass parts. And I didn't know his nickname was hooky. Apparently. His name is hooky. Peter hook. Yeah. Peter hooky hook. I Peter hook. I never heard Perfect. Hooky. Because he came up for the hook in the song, which he's playing on top of the baseline. He's a bass player, not playing a baseline, but actually a melodic part. And here it is. And just to get a little nerdy for a second, wow! That bass line—it's very EQ'd, so there's a there's like a low, a high pass filter, so you don't hear a lot of low end. So it can be on top of the bass line. And there's also parts later in the song where there's another bass part that's kind of used as a solo. So there are parts of the song where we've got three bass things happening at once, which is insane, but somehow works. Can I just say yeah. the the whole jangly guitar with like tons of echo on it? Almost never, almost you never fails. It. You love it every time. And I if you do. like that, you might like where it came from. It came from somewhere? Oh, yes, it did, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> what is, is that a Sergio Leone? Yep. That's a, that's a, a soundtrack to a Sergio Leone movie called Fistful of Dollars. Fistful of Dollars. And yeah. that is, uh, that's an Ennio Morricone track. Yeah, Morricone. Yep. I, oh, oh, sorry. That's a few dollars more from the trilogy though. It's part of the trilogy. Right. What's crazy about that is the second you started playing the Spaghetti Western song, I knew what was going to happen. Yeah. And I was like, there's a new order call. Yep. Back in here, like you know, yep. that's insane. And, and by the way, that was only those spaghetti westerns. Given when they came out, that that's only like ten years old. You're right. It would have been about the time that right. they're using it. It's like if I, <laughs> it's like if you and I took something from from the like, 2000s, Superman right. versus Batman. No, it's not even that long ago. It's like ten years ago. That's Hookie crazy. was just happened to be watching. He tells the story. I will not call him Hookie. I, Hookie. Just, I don't have that relationship with Peter Hook. <laughs> it's Hookie. It's Barney. It's Steve, and it's Jill. Oh boy, Bernard goes by Barney. He goes by Barney. <laughs> he looks this is a radio show but his the that, disappointed you know look on Diallo's face never meet your heroes never meet Diallo your heroes if I had known they were Barney and Hooky I would have very turned this radio look. station off the British right. do that and they call sandwiches like <laughs> Sammy's they're, they're so silly they're so silly those Brits so Blue Monday spent 38 weeks in the top 75 and has been dubbed a synth pop wow. classic wow 
when you said the top 75, it <laughs> really me. blew my mind. Some of those weeks, it was at number one. Okay. It wasn't like sitting at 74 for But you really got to spread it out across the two thirds of an annum. Yes. And it, by the way, global hit. Mm. You know, like you said, number one 12 inch of all time. Maybe we should talk about that. It is the number one 12 inch single of all time to this day, which is kind of crazy. That is Especially wild. because there's a factoid that I've seen reported 30 different ways where they actually lost money on every copy because they printed it as a die cut. It, oh, it looks like it's a, a floppy nice 12 disc. Inch. Like it doesn't, yeah, it looks like a floppy disc. It looks like disc. a floppy disc and they had like a special machine to cut out holes in the cardboard. So they it's lost a, it's money. It's a piece of art. It's, it's a, a piece, piece of, of art. art. And yet it somehow yeah. it always ends up in the dollar bins when you find right. that one record store in your town that hasn't been gone out of business. Exactly. Exactly. We're going to get into more about this song's production a little later in the show. Plus, I'm going to talk about how this song not only influenced me as a music fan, but as a music maker. All that coming up after the break. Stay tuned. Shout out to U.S. Soy and the United Soy Bean Board for supporting this episode of One Song and for giving our podcast studio an unbelievably smooth, sustainable makeover. Here on our show, we dive deep into the music, dissecting every beat and lyric. Sustainability is just like that. Each eco-friendly choice we make is like a single note that contributes to life's melody. That's why Heartbeat and the USB are teaming up to lead the discussion around greening Hollywood. We're talking slashing the carbon footprint of production with soy-based alternatives like soy-based inks for printing scripts, soy foam for soundproofing studios, and even biodiesel generators to power sets. To see our sustainable studio transformation, watch the Tears for Fears episode of One Song and see behind-the-scenes clips of how we pulled the whole look together. It's all on at Heartbeat Audio on YouTube, and the link is in our show notes. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Welcome back to One Song. Before the break, we pulled apart the bass guitar and synth from New Order's Blue Monday to examine the band's revolutionary sound. Let's go even further into the mix. Let's, let's, let's do that. Do a deep dive. Right. You know, let's go even further right. into we the mix. Already talked about how these guys pioneered bringing dance beats into post-punk music mm -hmm. and pop music, frankly, because th these this track hit the pop charts. It was as we saw <laughs> seventy-five yeah. in the top seventy-five for thirty-eight weeks. But the, the people were buying this and people were dancing to it big time, and mm -hmm. it was a revolution um, in certain quarters that didn't necessarily have one thirty BPM dance tracks right. before this. Uh, one thing they were also a pioneer in is they were early to the sampling game. Oh, I didn't know that. There I is, didn't know that they sampled at all. There is a sample in this song. They had just gotten a very early prototype, an early example of an emulator, like a very early sampling device. I, I don't even know how many seconds of sampling time. It was probably like <laughs> two seconds and maybe eight bit, very low resolution. But they used it on this track. And I'm going to show you the part they used. Uh, 
Okay. I'm going to play that in the mix for you, just in case no, listen, you know that one. You know what that is? Not only, I was going to oh, say boy. when you were playing some of the parts earlier that I was waiting for you to tell me that uh, the keyboardist actually was playing that. Okay. She is. Okay. She is. So that, so, but, but what but about the, the, the choir? But the that choir? Oh, yeah. That's not, that's not. No. Them. And as soon as I play the source, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I got that. And here it is. Do you recognize that? That's Kraftwerk, my friend. That is Uranium by Kraftwerk. <laughs> and they were one of the first... I love that Kraftwerk was making songs. I mean, like, granted, some of those Kraftwerk songs completely work in the clubs, but some of those weirder Kraftwerk <laughs> right, songs, uh, like, like, who listening to that drone. song was like, oh, this is definitely going to rock I party. love this drone. This is hell yeah. <laughs> like, let's, let's, we, hey, we're not finished, guys. We need that drone. We need some of that drone sound. Yeah, that's from their album Radioactivity from 1975. And they grabbed a copy of that, threw it in their sampler, and just in the spirit of experimentation, threw it in the mix. Now, of course, it is an important part of the song to this day, but it's something that you may not have noticed otherwise. Oh, I think we should actually hear a little bit of its use in the song, in the mix. Here we go, in the mix. Oh, by the way, you just singing that made me think what we're a little bit of a foreshadowing when we get to the actual vocal stems and talk about the Mm -hmm. lyrics. But what did you just sing? You make me feel. How does it feel? (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. Revelations are happening on my hooky on the phone. Get hooky on the phone. Get Barney. (laughs) Barney. Get hooky and Barney on the horn. Barney, I need a Sammy. (laughs) I feel like a cigar cigar chopping like producer. Hey, I need hooky and Barney. Get him on the horn. Get him on the horn. All right. That's, that's, I mean, this is insane. It's crazy. This is insane. It's this crazy is like, town USA. This is like, you know, when you're standing in one of those uh, paintings and like, it's a whole bunch of different pictures, but then when you take a step back, it looks like Barack Obama's face. Like, this is incredible to Love see all these parties that. come together. That is a great analogy. Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's right. Absolutely true. And <laughs> I'm it's getting so- chills hearing yeah. all this stuff come together, though. Right. You know, what's really ironic about this this song is all of the effort, all of these new toys and new technologies parts. I haven't even gotten to the part where they like programmed something. It took them all night long and then it was wrong and then they kept it. <laughs> There's a lot going on. That's insane. <laughs> the irony of it though, is they intended for this song to save them labor because they despise doing encores when they were playing in New York. I was just mentioning before yeah. they would do 27 minute shows and then leave the stage and it would cause a riot. And it got to the point where their manager was like, could you guys like, come up with one more song please Wait, why was it causing a riot when they would... because people paid money to see them and they leave and after they less, than less than half than an hour they wouldn't <laughs> even do the encore <laughs> the encore is like this ex- you know whatever the yeah, yeah, yeah. history of encores is oh it's a surprise they're coming back but of course it's the expected thing yeah. and that voice is a character i'm working on called lamar <laughs> Lamar's going to get his own spinoff. Um, so their idea was like they would just push a button and sort of play this song, and that way they wouldn't have to put in a solid 30 minutes. A thousand percent right. To play for this was an, yet another up yours to the man that they would have a song that would be a push button and walk off the stage kind of situation. And then it turned out to be this track that they were like, wait, this is actually really good. <laughs> I think we have a hit on our hands. And then it t- turns out to be the number That's one. Always the way. It's always the That's way. always the way. Blur you know, is like, the, Blur is throwaway. Disappointed with their reception in the United States mm-hmm. and they're like everything over there is grunge and so they make a little two minute song called Song 2 to make fun of American grunge and, and then of course the that hit. becomes the biggest blur song of all time that's always how it is you're absolutely right well, you, this gotta, was... you gotta be comfortable and kind of relaxed and not taking it too seriously I think sometimes in art to really stumble upon right. what you're capable of well this effortless throwaway backfired on them big time because big they time. put all this time and effort into it and they created a monster hit monster hit so we've been teasing the iconic vocal from this track this whole episode. So we're finally, finally going to play it for you. Uh, these are the isolated vocals from Blue Monday by New Order. How does it feel to treat me like you do When you've laid your hands upon me And told me who you are Thought I was mistaken I thought I'd heard your words Tell me how do I feel? Tell me now how do I feel? Wow, I I, I didn't know that we were using auto tune back then. 
That's a vocoder, and they had originally wanted for the whole thing to be that robot voice thing. Yeah. And then they just couldn't quite get it to where they were happy with it. So yeah. they mixed it in, and that's why it's got that kind of cool blend. Well, I was going to say, it's weird to hear the isolated vocals, the isolated vocals because uh, it actually sounds higher in, in register than okay. I'm used to hearing it in my ears in the mix. Does that make sense? And in the mix, it sounds... It sounds like a, a deeper voice. It sounds like, how does it feel to treat me like you do? I think you're right. That's an interesting. Con- that's an interesting thing you noticed, where the context of the music kind of creates an environment where the vocal, because everything else is so hard and boom, ding, boom, like it's so intense. Yeah. That his vocal kind of benefits from that, but yeah. on its own, it's a little. On bit- its own, it's feel- it feels a little bit higher. And uh, yeah, I know it's not auto tune. It's, it's it's a vocoder, but it's like uh, there's more going on with that vocal. It's not like a just a clean vocal like there's 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 doubling going on and imperfection there's, there's imperfection yeah. and and i kind of like it when it goes extra robot at yeah. the very end of oh, that. Me too. That, was, that part's great I, yeah i like the like, texture there's kind of like a phasey thing on it which i yeah. hadn't really noticed before like a phase filter on top of it which is very like when you hear it isolated that literally could be an acapella in a daft punk song like that is, i was just thinking that right doesn't yeah. that feel like something that daft punk would use it's usually those it's that those same characteristics it could be like a stardust music sound better with you is how they treat the vocals with the same things it's a real vocal it's a vocoder and some phasing is they, they have the same you know checklist you gotta have all three you gotta have all three you mentioned earlier that there's like some some wonkiness right, some, right, some right. timing that may be off in the song yeah it's so funny whenever i think about like how they put the song together because it really brought out another side of these guys like they got really nerdy they would go home and they would learn these manuals by the way these are early proto <laughs> you know these machines are hard to operate yeah, yeah. and they just like sat down and looked at these 500 page manuals and learned how to use oberheim dmx drum machines and <laughs> and learn how to sequence. That's another thing where they would use the drum machine pattern to sequence the synth. That is like a revolutionary concept. They're in the middle of Manchester. There's no internet. <laughs> There's no YouTube. Yeah. They're figuring this stuff out for themselves. And one thing that happened a few times is they would program something and then it would get destroyed or it would get lost or it would be wrong. Mm-hmm. So there's this one part of the song where there's a sequence that's wrong, but when they heard it in the mix, they were like, well, that's kind of cool. Like it. Let's kind of, that's kind of like, let's leave it in. So I'll play that for you now. That. I'll play it for you now, isolated. And then you'll be like, Oh, that sounds awesome. Right, but in the mix, it's like, what is happening? <laughs> sounds 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 weird, but okay. it sounds it sounds definitely sounds sound weird. Crazy it doesn't like that, sound crazy. That, 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 yeah. that, that sounds like it didn't quite come in at the right time, uh-huh. right? Well, here it is in the mix. What's funny is that is that keyboard that goes. That's clearly well lined up right, with his exactly. vocal. Uh, the other part sounds almost like a half idea that they were like, well, we'll just bury this a little bit down in the mix. Well, it would be, it would sound right on with the rest of the sequencing. Cause it's this little, it's a pattern that mm-hmm. if it was like lined up correctly, would just feel normal. Yeah. And it would, it would align with what the baseline is doing and where the chords are going, but it's off by like a 16th note or something. You can hear it, yeah. And it's like, they couldn't, they probably could have like taken five hours to reprogram everything to get it right. But they're just like, actually this is kind of cool. Let's leave yeah. it in. Cause it's not like nowadays where like, it's really, it's a lot easier to change things now. Exactly. Exactly. Versus back then. Right now, we could look at the screen in Ableton and like nudge, You'd like know take the, yeah. the segment and move it over here at the end. But back then, you had to like start from zero, <laughs> start from scratch. They're like, just leave it in. It's like this is bar fifty-eight, and like there's so much going on to like get the exactitude of what you're sequencing and programming. And there's no YouTube to help you. And you of know, of course. And by the way, sometimes themselves. when things are wrong, like you know, I feel like your brain kind of fixes them a yeah. little bit or just thinks, Oh, that's where that's supposed to go. Right. I feel like, you know, hip hop producers like, uh, Dilla and Timbaland have always made use of the idea of things not landing exactly where you expect them. Right. So that they, so that it sounds new and there's like some, some tension there. Right. And it sounds new is a big part of it too. It's like, yeah. I haven't heard this before. Exactly. Let's see if we can't make it work and right. add to the vocabulary. So a little earlier, we were talking about how this song made a big impression on me as a baby luxury in seventh grade. <laughs> but as we've been talking about it, and as I've been listening back to the stems, it's still so fresh, first of all. I've been hearing this song for 40 years, mm-hmm. but it's reminding me of another seminal moment in my life when I started actually making music, when I started becoming a songwriter myself. Um, 
What's funny is that when I started making songs, you would never recognize luxury at the beginning. <laughs> Those first demo tapes or whatever, what I was making, it was all this like riff rock stoner stuff. It was like Caius, you know who Caius are? They're this stoner no. rock band who later became Queens of the Stone Age. Oh, the lead singer did, Josh Homme. Okay. It was his first entity. And it was just a slow, sludgy, Black Sabbath, <laughs> stoner rock, really slow tempos, yeah. like tuning down to C. So everything's like rumble. <laughs> and that, I love that. And that's what I was making. And I was talking to my friend Summer, shout out to Summer Burks. She gave me a couple of like, she listened to my stuff. She's like, I think what it needs, she was basically suggesting that I kind of lighten the mood a little bit and be more like me, who I am. Mm -hmm. And we were talking and it eventually clicked that I wanted to try using some machines. I started thinking about New Order and the stuff that I really genuinely loved from mm -hmm. a little earlier in my life. Yeah. And I'll never forget the time I went to rehearsal space back when I was like, had my first songs and I was looking for a band and I would just bring uh, a guitar and like a drum machine. And I remember being in the room playing the drum machine coming out through the giant PA monitors and playing guitar and singing and being like, this is so satisfying. The sound of machine and man. And it's like, I'm imperfect. My guitar playing is not that great. My songs are a bit like, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a new songwriter. There's nothing polished about this at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is raw. This is rough, but underneath it, there is a steady tempo that is locking everything in and kind of making it fun, making it yeah. danceable. And that was really the origin. I should say the new order that I was hearing come through the, the speakers that was my music, but I could hear where it came from. I could hear the new order being a huge, like 90% of the sound I was going for. Can, can I just weigh in on that and say that I think that, I think dance music is in some ways very pure. Mm -hmm. And, and if you think about the popularity of rock and roll taking off, like people used to play rock at sock hops so that people could dance, mm -hmm. you know? And for most of its history, hip hop was, you know, dance music. It didn't mean that like that was the first goal of it, but you could usually move right. to hip hop. I think that's one of the reasons why sometimes when I hear some of the more, uh, <laughs> let's just say emo hip hop of, of right now, I'm like, damn, how could you ever dance to this? Like, I, I kind of want to get back to the groove. And even when you said earlier today, uh, that disco sort of ended after Comiskey Park, I think it ended as like a genre that record labels were into, right. but look at off the wall. Oh yeah. And Thriller. Like those are disco records. I feel like black audiences never gave up on disco. Disco just sort of moved into the eighties. That's right. Because off the walls, well, a disco record. Hip -hop. Like it's hip -hop, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And hip hop, like, you know, Sugar Hill Gang, that was disco. So in some ways, disco didn't go away. It just continued to evolve. And right. I think that what you're saying is very true. Bands like new order. And again, I was the only black kid at my all black school in elementary school listening to new order and pet shop boys and human league and all these different groups. But I think the reason why I was into them more than the American rock bands was because the British understood. Yeah. Like people want to dance. People want that groove, right. you know? And right. I think all these British groups, they, they didn't forsake the groove. No, the dancingness is at the core of all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's not guitar driven. It's still drum driven music. Right. And of course, you know, fine, we can make some, we can go back in time and find some rock bands that have some dancingness to them. But essentially, you know, there is a bodiness to the live element of rock music, but it's kind of aggressive and it's like slam dancing. <laughs> and, you know, it is a cathartic thing, but it's not like rhythmic and, and like, you know, sexy. <laughs> it's yeah. Not sexy. I think that the same way that a lot of live drummers were coming to drum machines, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they were like, oh, I got to stand out. I got to be Keith Moon, mm -hmm. you know, but uh, there was something about that drum machine. And I grew up in the South where we had like, you know, we had Miami bass and we had, you know, uh, Planet Rob by Africa Mbata, which also samples Kraftwerk. Uh, yes, all that stuff. Interpolate. The dance. Yeah, the dance was very important. I'm so that. sorry. I had to give you an interpolation. No, no, no. There. Listen, you, we don't brand. actually get paid unless you whisper. It's it. my brand. I get it. <laughs> well, Diallo, I am so glad we got to talk about New Order today because it's Me just too. a personal, my personal connection to the band, to this song is so deep in ways that I didn't even realize until we were halfway through this talking about it just now, like the, the epiphanies were happening live on air. So, I, I was learning live on air. I didn't know half as much that I thought I knew about this song. And I loved hearing about your experiences with the band and the song too. I think all in all, this may be the greatest episode ever taped of a podcast or radio <laughs> show ever made. Well, it's definitely going to be in the top 75. It's, it's in one of the 38 in the top 75. So that was blue Monday by new order. 
now it's time for a segment that we call DJ Challenge. Luxury and I will each come up with five songs for a secret scenario we each selected before the show. I love this game. And by the way, I am a DJ. I am also sometimes a DJ. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to go first. I am, by the way, seeing this for the first time. So the secret scenario you selected for me, this is news to me. We just don't even know. I don't even know. (laughs) Here's the DJ challenge. You get a phone call. You have to DJ a party for... Okay, it's 2005. You have to DJ a party for Prince. Oh my God. Are you insane? I would slam the phone down and cry and run to the next city. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to, out they're of gonna, love. They're going to sweeten the deal. Just to be clear, Prince is one of my most idly idols of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my worship for him would, is, is terrifying me. That's, that's what's happening here because how am I going to please, how am I, I going to please Prince? I mean, like notoriously he unpleasable. He famously will walk out of the party. If a DJ plays a Prince. And song. I can picture this cause I've been to Paisley park. So I can picture the room where this would be happening. I can picture that's the setup in the area away from where the costumes will currently are. I don't think they would have been there when he was alive, but now there's all the costumes from the other eras. No, but you, here's God, what I play. you have to play something. I'm going to play something. I'm going to play. Oh, I know exactly what it is. Okay. What are you going to play? I'm going to play Joni Mitchell. Because Joni Mitchell. Prince is a huge Which Joni song? Mitchell fan. You're going to play um, album cuts, I assume. I'm going to play. Because that's the other thing hard about Prince. He's, he's not like somebody who's just casually into music. Like, he knows, oh, yeah. he knows music. He's deep. He's you deep. Know. I'm going to play, um, or maybe I could play Mavis Staples, because I just learned that he was obsessed with I think with that's that. a safe bet. Yeah. I think if it was me, I'd probably go like, you know, s- like early, 70s, or something. early 70s funk. Yeah. I think. But see, that's why I, I was so excited when I had the Joni Mitchell moment because I was yeah. like, oh, that would be not expected. Uh-huh. But it's also not danceable and it would clear the dance floor and he'd be irritated. <laughs> um, what if I, I mean, I mean, I could be risky. Yeah. I could be risky and play one of my favorite mixes of his own songs. I do love the long version of um, Pop Life. Mm from around the world in a day. I do too. Baseline. I will say, yeah. Uh, DJ Rashida, um, who's out here in LA. She did a lot of the parties for Prince, like at his house yeah. or like whenever he had a party out in a club. And, uh, there no Prince she tended to do, yeah, she, she was the person who told a friend of mine. I think she might've told me too, but she definitely told a friend of mine, you can't play Prince. Then you I'm going to go with Funkadelic. Shit, yeah. goddamn, get off your ass and jail. I think that's the way to go. He's also a big sly fan. Shit, goddamn. Get off your ass and jail. That's the one I'm doing. That's the one. With that. that, that's a great answer. Thank you. Uh, give, give me one. Give, give me a DJ challenge, my okay. friend. Uh, you know what? I just thought of a great one. Uh, here we go. It, the year... The okay. year is 2012. Oh, okay. And there's a special event happening, and it's called the inauguration. <laughs> Second inauguration of Obama. Of Barack Obama. Okay. What you do? Um, so we've had four years already to get used to it. That's like a nightmare scenario for me, because, you know, when you DJ a party for politicians in general, mm, I think I, yeah. I, did one crowd, for, right? I did one for Villa we're Ragosa. In DC. We're in D.C. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was going to say, I did one for L.A. Mayor Villa Ragosa. I think I did one for <laughs> Eric Gertz said he when he was running uh don't hold any of those guys against me i i, I need the money i need daddy had to spend some records and get <laughs> some cash for his kids um you know it's always tough because on the one hand you have a lot of it's almost the opposite of prince you have a lot you have people who basically are not music experts right. all they want is the result of everybody dancing yeah so you get that a lot you're like oh god it's the worst thing you can hear as a dj it's like play something upbeat like they don't know what upbeat means right. they just know that that means people get up and start dancing so but also you can't embarrass them like if i'm doing obama's party like yeah. i can't be playing like nwa <laughs> like, no. you know like you can't you could <laughs> literally bring down a person's career and thereby you know <laughs> the country by your song selection i just think it's high stakes so if i'm playing obama uh, Obama's party. I'd probably put 2012. Uh, was was Goye someone I used to know? Was oh, that out right. yet? Yeah, that might have been. I'd a probably play that. Um, you might <laughs> be able to get song. away with crazy by Narls Barkley. Like it's okay. almost like you have to play What's songs that people assume know. the cool kids are into, even though we know the cool kids are like. You know, once once you're in the top 75 for 38 weeks, the cool kids <laughs> the game moved on to something else. Game changes. But yeah, I would probably play a selection of safe bets. Would you um, play? No, go, you go first. And no, then, I, I was going to say, like, I know that Questlove has done okay. parties for the Obamas and, uh, 
you know, some other friends. I think Adam 12, DJ Adam 12 played some. It's, I'll tell you what's a safe bet. You can always play stuff like Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can, you can definitely play like the safest version, safest, coolest version of like a wedding set. Cause that's never going to really have anything yeah. offensive. It's, it's one of those examples where you kind of don't want to make the news. Now, it, let's say it wasn't the Obamas. Let's say it's like some attention star people. Let's say it's like, uh, <laughs> Let's say it's like the cast of Vanderpump Rules. Like, if that's the case, then I'm absolutely <laughs> okay. like. Yes. First off, Kit, uh, James Kennedy uh, from that show is a DJ. He he proudly says, "I open for Cascade." So you know, shout out to. By the way, shout out to all the people who watch Vanderpump Rules. It's it's a guilty pleasure of mine, and uh, and I, I feel like with that no crew, I would probably be willing to play Twenty One Savage, Drake, and everything else that's popular on the radio. So there you go. That's that's sort of the uh, the balance for the Obamas. You got to go save. For other people, it's like make the news. Would you play Blue Monday? Could Blue Monday make actually? You could probably play Blue Monday for Obama or the Vanderpump. It kind of works in both, doesn't it? That's magic. You could probably do both. And Cole and the Gang celebration would work in both. (laughs) My man, luxury. Do you have any final words for seventh grade? Oh, hang in there, buddy. It gets so much better. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but also hold on to this anecdote because it'll be funny in forty years. 40 years? Uh, no. That's a little more than it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's be generous. It'll be funny. No, you know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe you, maybe you need a few more years and then. Yeah, it's exactly. I'm not, quite, I'm not quite healed as this show demonstrates. This semi therapeutic show has been but great. But in season though. two of this show, you're yeah. going to be like, I'm, 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 I'm finally over it. I'm golden. <laughs> I'm going to say, How do you feel? And your reply will be, Mighty real. Oh, there you go. Mm. Luxury, help me in this thing. All right, well, coming from me, Luxury, DJ, songwriter, and interpolation whisperer. <laughs> and me, Diala Riddle, actor, director, writer, and sometimes DJ. This, this has been One, one song. song. One Song is a Sirius XM and Kevin Hart's LOL Radio production. It's hosted by me, Luxury, and my friend Diallo Riddle. This episode was produced by Matthew Nelson and Jordan Colling, with engineering from Marcus Hom. Additional production support from Leslie Guam, Charles Childers, and Alicia Shimada. This show is executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, and Eric Weil. Luxury again, and I really hope you enjoy that episode. To keep up to date with our show, remember to like and subscribe. And to keep up to date with Diallo and I, find us on Instagram. He's at Diallo, D-I-A-L-L-O, and I'm Luxury, L-U-X-X-U-R-Y. Or on TikTok, he's Diallo Riddle, and I'm at LuxuryXX. Stick around, keep your eyes on the one song feed, and we'll be back with some fresh episodes for you soon. We promise. promise. Interpolation. Hey, I'm Paul Shear. I'm June Diane Raphael. And I'm Jason Manzukis. And we're the hosts of How Did This Get Made, a comedy podcast where we deconstruct, make fun of, and celebrate the best, worst movies ever made. Have you ever seen a movie that's so bad that it's actually good? Eh, that's what we're talking about. From blockbuster franchises and made-for-TV romances. To bonkers 80s action flicks and obscure sci-fi musicals, we cover it all. You can find How Did This Get Made wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode, idiot. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate (laughs) is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy.